What up, world? It's your pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is our weekly segment, Mailbag Monday, where I solicit questions from you, the listener, and all episode long, I answer your questions right here. Now, there's two ways you can get involved. Many of you know how to do this. In fact, every question here came in the same way. There's two ways to go about it. One, shoot me a tweet whenever you are thinking of a Blazer-related question. I'm at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me that tweet. You don't have to wait. If it's in your head, put it in your machine. I will answer it. Also, on Monday mornings, about 9 a.m. West Coast time, I solicit questions. I put out the call, and you can just respond to that tweet, and I will answer them here. I pretty much answer 100% of the questions sent in. I've probably missed one over the whole season we've been doing this. So if you want to hear me read your question, read your Twitter handle on this very podcast, that's how we do it. So let's go ahead and get into it. This first question comes from Aaron Egaman at Aaron Egaman on Twitter, who asks, if you were given magical powers to undo Nurk's injury or undo Rodney Hood and Zach Collins injuries, which would you choose? You can only choose one. That's A, Nurk's injury, or B, both Collins and Hood's injuries. Aaron, you probably know this from listening, and if you don't know this, you just you hit it on the head. There's one thing that the Lockdown Blazers mailbag loves, and it's stupid hypotheticals. This is perfect. And I've been giving this one a lot of thought, because I really liked this one when it came in. And I'm thinking Nurk's injury. And maybe, maybe you feel in your heart <laughs> that the that B is the better choice, that you'd rather have two guys, Collins and Hood. But for me, I think the Blazers' chances of going deeper into the playoffs, I mean, they're they're like a low-level playoff team if they even get there, but their, their chances of, of having the type of season they envisioned having is more about them having high, high-end players. And that's what Yusuf Nurkic was. He was their second-best player all of last season. Now, C.J. McCollum's brilliance in the playoffs kind of erased how how much better Nurk was than C.J. during the regular season, but Nurk was one of the best 30 best players in the NBA last year. I think if you erase Nurk's injury, it allows you to build around a really solid center, one of the best, there's a lot of good young centers in the league, so one of the 10 or 12 best centers in the NBA. It lets you check some other boxes around him. It lets you play a little bit smaller because he's so big and can erase so much space on defense. He's a great rebounder. He's a great passer. He's such a massive upgrade over Hassan Whiteside that it would really change things. So give me Nurk's injury. I think the Collins and Hood thing was really valuable. Hood was having the best shooting season of his career. Collins, you just really want to see what he can do in a major role. This was our chance to really see what he can do. But there is some uncertainty, even though I think Collins is going to be a pretty solid NBA player when he's healthy and can play. But I'm picking A, Nurk's injury. Let's erase that one. I think it helps the Blazers a little bit more. This next question comes from your boy Ra at PDX Ra on Twitter who asks, should the Blazers pull a Warriors and trade for Drew Holiday so we never have to play him again? I think he lives in Dame's nightmares. Yeah, Drew Holiday really does seem to play well against Damian Lillard. I would put him in the Kyle Lowry box of players who are very obviously not better than Damian Lillard 
like holistically overall better than Damian Lillard, but always seem to outplay him, always seem to give him a lot, a lot, a lot of trouble. In the Blazers game against the Pelicans last week, I thought Holiday really did a good job of making Dame's life difficult, both just hounding him defensively, not not letting him get to his spots, not letting him easily get dribble handoffs, etc., things like that, but also just going at him and being physical with him on offense when, when Drew had the ball making Dame guard him. Uh, Dame didn't guard him 100% of his possessions by any means, but but Drew really uh, really goes after him. And to answer your question, should they pull a Warriors move and trade for him? Yeah, sure. I think in general, a, a straight-up swap CJ for Drew Holiday improves the Blazers. I'd have to think about that one a little bit more, but my gut is that Drew Holiday is a better player overall than CJ because of what he does on defense. So yeah, maybe they should trade for him. Uh, a Warriors move would be to wait for a cap spike um, and then trade for Drew Holiday after beating him in the playoffs. So they probably can't go full Warriors. But yeah, good idea. Drew Holiday would really help this team. Next question comes from KJM underscore B-Ball at B-Ball KJM on Twitter who asks, After the Lakers game, CJ as our second option feels like an issue against the upper tier teams. Do you think there is a trade out there for a second option forward that can raise our ceiling? Much respect for CJ though. Double star guards are just not as effective. So I think this has sort of been the question surrounding the Blazers for five seasons, right? As soon as CJ proved himself to be a very capable second tier type contributor then the question started being who can they trade him for that really improves them here's the problem kjm there are so few star level wings in the nba it is the most valuable position in the league and it is also the thinnest position in the league there what makes some of sort of the elite teams elite like you look at the clippers they have two of the five best wings in the league and the drop-off once you get to about six or eight is really really steep I think maybe at one point the Blazers could have gone all in maybe during this sort of Jimmy Butler saga the Blazers could have made that move or things like that but they're beyond the top top tier small forwards in the game the drop-off is so dramatic that trading for CJ for someone at that position in particular is just really difficult. There just aren't that many there just aren't that many options out there. And two of them, Kawhi and Paul George, scheme to play together this summer. So while I think you're right that there is some overlap of what Damon and CJ do, there's some size issues maybe, they are in a lot of ways an imperfect pair. But I don't think there's an easy trade. I don't think there's an easy availability that the Blazers could could just flip CJ for a star wing because I simply don't think there's a lot of star wings out there. All right, in the second segment, I'm going to answer more of your questions. It's Mailbag Monday. We're going a whole episode of listener questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Calm. Physical fitness is a super common topic in the sports world. But there's another side of the game that's just as important. And I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. 
And if you head to calm.com slash locked on MBA, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain on leaves, so and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can use Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on MBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on MBA. That's calm.com slash locked on MBA. Okay, let's keep it rolling with more of your questions here on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Neil Olshay's burner at Paint and PDX on Twitter, who asks, "How would you grade Coach Stotts' season to date? Are you in agreement with the with a vocal subset of fans on social media who are highly critical of the coaching, or more sympathetic to the bad situation the team has found itself in?" Uh, I'll I'll answer this question and group it with another one. Gunner B53 at Gunner B53 asks, why do some fans, in quotes, diss Dots and Nurk so much? Uh, let me get the second one and then I'll, I'll address sort of the larger point here. Who who disses Nurk? The guy who horrifically broke his leg in March and has yet to return to the court. The people who are like dissing Nurk on your social media are just, um, they're weirdos. Just get rid of those people. It's like you you can you kind of control the environment there. I would just I would just zap those people, guys. But the stat stuff, oof. Um, listen, I'm of two minds about this. One, I thought earlier in the season stats wasn't this wasn't his best year I thought his his insistence early on to uh, play Anthony Tolliver was always extremely puzzling particularly when this, when this team was at full health uh, he never seemed like a really good option I thought not staggering Damon CJ earlier in the season and trying to play all, both those guys all their minutes together and kind of have a bench mob uh, group off the bench was a bad idea I thought those were mistakes, obvious sort of mistakes. And and I've said this on the uh, podcast before. I think that mostly what a coach does during the game is decide who plays and when. It's, it's, It's just most of what they do is who's on the court. Because even if they call a play from the bench, guys can break off that play. The defense can sniff it out and the play will just go dead and you kind of just... Um, you kind of just freelance. You rely on you rely on the guys on the floor more than more more than maybe they get credit for. But I don't I, I don't think Stotts has been super good this year. You know I think he's probably one of the he's an above average coach, probably one of the top ten co- best coaches in the league in my mind. But I don't think he's totally void of criticism this year. I think um, he's been really he's given Mello maybe a longer leash than I w- than I would have. Um, would have in some situations he has shied away from maybe just rolling young guys out for longer periods of time when the team is struggling uh, than than maybe I would but in general this roster just sucks it's not his fault that Neil Olshay put together a crappy roster it's not his fault that Olshay put Tolliver and Scalabi Sierra and Mario Hazonia in positions where they're going to have to play a ton of minutes and if you don't think that's true it's not Terry Stotts's fault that uh Neil O'Shea banked on 39-year-old Pau Gasol coming off foot foot surgery. That's just, that's not Terry's fault. I don't think Terry's done a great job, but this roster stinks and he didn't build a roster. So yeah, if you want to blame him, that's fine, but you're blaming the wrong guy. All right, this next question comes from Logan Gillis. At Logan Gillis on Twitter, who asks, 
How ill would a starting lineup of Dame, CJ, Melo, Zebo, and Hassan be? Let's get crazy. Yeah, it'd be pretty ill. <laughs> it would be pretty ill. Uh, Melo playing out of position at power at three. He looks a little slow defensively at power forward. Um, Zebo, who boy, he's um, he looked incredibly slow and out of shape with the Kings the last time we saw him in the league. And Hassan trying to cover up for those four defenders. Um, it would be ill. It would be a little, maybe maybe sickening. Um, I love Zebo, one of my favorite Blazers of all time incredibly left-handed, a jab-step king, a bully. I think one year he averaged 20 points per game and got his shot blocked more than any person in the league because he doesn't jump and just he just overpowers people. Um, he was an incredibly fun part of that Memphis core after he left the Blazers and kind of got free from the Knicks and Clippers. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Zebo guy. I love Zebo. He's also just like a cool dude. The handful of times I've interacted with him, I didn't cover the team when he was when he was on the Blazers, but I've the handful of times that I've dealt with him as a member of the media, he's been super cool. So um, I like Zebo. I don't think that starting lineup would be very good at basketball, though. Next question comes from Edmund Dantes at Roger two four four nine two nine seven nine. I always make fun of that Twitter handle, Edmund, when you ask questions. So I'm gonna let I'm gonna let it go. Just uh, listen back to previous Monday mailbags where I've been mean about it. Your question though: How available or willing are most players to sign autographs at the end of or prior to a game? Uh, for the most part, every Blazer that warms up, uh, Carmelo Anthony doesn't go through a shooting routine before games. He just gets ready in the back and then comes out and shoots before a game. But the other, I guess, twelve available dudes 11 now with without scow uh, the other 11 guys um they will go through shooting routines and then if they're in the moda center as they walk back to the locker room there's that tunnel right there they will stop and sign autographs dame will stop and sign every person every person's autograph there every single game uh after the game not gonna happen but if you get to the game like an hour and a half early and you post up and you are really committed to it you can probably get some autographs Okay, next question comes from Scorezag Score Podcast at Scorezag Score on Twitter, who asks, why weren't the Blazers in on a guy like Jonathan Williams, who just signed with the Wizards? They could have used another power forward, and he seemed eager to come back to the U.S. Okay, for those of you who are listening to the podcast who do not know Jonathan Williams, I'm going to give you one guess where Jonathan Williams attended college. You were wrong. It is not Seton Hall. It is Gonzaga. So the Scorzag score folks maybe um, have some uh, some bias towards that, but that's the part. That's why um, being a fan is important. I respect that. Um, why didn't? Why weren't they in on a guy like him? I think he got signed before the Scal injury, if I have the timeline correct. So I don't think they were sort of in the in the sign, take a, ch- a flyer on a guy from Europe and bring him back to the U.S. type of situation. Uh, the Wizards are just have a ton of health problems. Rui Hachimura's out. Um, Thomas Bryant is out. Davis Bertans is out. They just don't have anyone big enough up front. So they were more in a position. Also, they're not trying to win. There's no pressure for them to be a playoff team. So taking a flyer on a guy who is coming back over from Europe after a brief stint in the D-League. Jonathan Williams, a 24-year-old 6'9", power forward center type, went to Gonzaga, played briefly with the Lakers, was a G-League player, and recently signed with the Wizards. That's your catch-up for everyone who doesn't know. For Zags fans out there, sorry that um, 
Sorry that your boy didn't come to the Northwest. I don't think the Blazers... I think the Blazers are going to make a move. Like, I'll talk about this a little later in the show with a couple other questions. But I think, they, I think they're more likely to do it through a trade at first and then try to maybe be patient and see what's on the buyout market, things like that. Like, I don't, I don't think the way they view this roster, they want to take a chance on sort of an unproven guy to fill a roster spot. Um I'm not saying Jonathan Williams can't play. I'm saying the, that flavor of player, 24-year-old, undrafted dude with no real track record is not maybe the type of guy they'll chase, but maybe I'm wrong. Okay, this next question comes from Aaron Boyd at Aaron Yo on Twitter. I like that handle, Aaron Boyd. Aaron Yo asks, Blazers need better wings. How come I'm not hearing Dylan Brooks's name? See, gettable? Seems like an upgrade over all our wings, even though not totally proven. Maybe not Melo in the short term. Yeah, I mean, Melo's not really a wing. He's more of like a, just like a straight-up power forward in this case. Um, also, if I made fun of Zags fans, got to make fun of Duck fans. You can't just pick random Ducks in the league and say, add them to the team. I'm going to catch you on that. That's like me just saying, Blazers should add Justin Jackson or Wayne Ellington or Reggie Bullock. Any Tar Heel is better than less Tar Heels. More Tar Heels, always better than less Tar Heels. Yeah, um, Dylan Brooks probably is an upgrade over all their wings, but I think the Blazers view Gary Trent Jr. as Dylan Brooks, so maybe that's why they wouldn't go and chase him down. Um, I think Brooks can play. Um, he's been he's been steady and helpful for a not very good Memphis team. Uh, he's not having his best year this year. He's, he's probably better last season. I, I, I imagine he's, he's tradable on the cheap, um, but I don't think the Blazers, their tradable parts are young guys. I don't think they're going to trade a younger guy they drafted for Dylan Brooks. Um, that's just not how Neil Olshay rolls. He trusts his own draft picks over someone else's. So for right now, uh, I, I just don't think that's that's a money target. I think the Blazers will save their second-round picks for slightly bigger fish than Dylan Brooks. Although I do agree with you, he's probably an upgrade. Like Dylan Brooks is probably is probably better than Gary Trent Jr. today. Even though Trent looked pretty good against the Suns, but I, like right now, as I'm recording this podcast, I think Dylan Brooks is probably better than him. All right, third segment, come back, answer the last of your questions, close out the show on Mailbag Monday. All right, welcome back. Still Mailbag Monday, still Lockdown Blazers, still Pass First Point Guard, still Mike Richmond. Let's keep it rolling with more of your questions. This one comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter. The Reverend asks, do the Blazers use the trade deadline as a way to secure a trip to the playoffs, build for the future, or both? And is there anything that causes the team to give up on this year short of Dame being unable to play? And Matt, Matthew apologizes for asking two questions. Never apologize, Matthew. We need the content here on Lockdown Blazers. Okay, your first question. Will they use the trade deadline to secure a trip to the playoffs or build for the future? I think they won't. And Olshay has been clear that they, they're not going to like, they're very unlikely to give away the Anthony Simon, Zach Collins assets. They will probably try to do both things, though, which is get the team better in the near term and also better positioned for the long term. So depending on where they are, I think they're going to be right in the mix for the eighth seed. I think they're going to be right there in that mix for the eighth seed at the trade deadline. Trade deadline is February 6th. We're, you know, five weeks away. So... 
I think they're st- they're not going to be farther enough out that it's really time to tank. So I do think they'll probably try to upgrade the roster, or at, or at, depending on what they feel about Nurk's health, trade Hassan Whiteside to get better complementary parts. But I think they're going to try to do both. I think they're you have to when when you say build for the future. I think it's important to realize with the Blazers that the future for them is then following two seasons, planning for life. After Damian Lillard turns 31 is a mistake. You need to, your future is, I mean, your future is this season, but this season kind of blew up in your face. So the following two seasons, you don't want to think much further than that on the timeline. That's the teams you need to really improve is that 2020 and 2021 teams. That's, that's where you, that's where you're going to make your money. Your next question, is there anything that causes the team to give up on the season short of Dame being unable to play? I don't think so. I don't think they're going to intentionally tank unless Dame is hurt. Now, there could be a Dame ankle injury that they, if he's willing, they ask him to take maybe three more days so they lose a little bit more, but that would involve him already being out, already being injured. I don't think they're going to tank. I think they're going to naturally, they might naturally miss the playoffs and they're not quite bad enough to catch the teams at the very bottom, so they'll settle for the... If if that's where the cards land, they'll settle for the ninth through. They'll settle for the ninth pick in the draft. You know. All right. Next question. Another one from Ya Ya Boy Ra at PDX Ra. See, Ra's asking another question. Didn't apologize. Ra asks, if Carl Anthony Towns becomes so disgruntled of Minnesota that he wants out, please put together Portland's offer for Carl Anthony Towns if it is possible. I added that, please. Your boy Roger said, "Put together Portland's offer," but I, I, you know, I'm making making it polite. Here's the best offer I've I, I I can come up with. This is automatic trade machine. The Timberwolves receive C.J. McCollum, Zach Collins, Anthony Simons, and two protected first round picks in exchange for Carl Anthony Towns and Robert Covington. Now you may say that's too much, and I say no, it's not, y'all. Carl Anthony Towns is probably one of the 10 best players in the NBA. You're going to have to give up a lot to get a lot. I'm not even sure that CJ, Zach, Ant, and two firsts is the sexiest trade offer the T-Wolves would get if Towns was legitimately on the market. That's how good he is. He's, He's really young. He's just signed a max contract, so a team trading for him will have him under team control for four more seasons beyond this one. He's he's just really good. I mean, he's, he hasn't played in a while, and Minnesota has lost like a kajillion games in a row. But if if the Blazers were going to trade for him, that's type of blockbuster type trade that you would have to get. If you don't like it, sorry, but that's the best I could do. Okay, this next question comes from Jack, loyal Blazers pod listener, at Jack Parshall on Twitter, who asks, who would win in a one-on-one basketball game between you and Oregonian reporter Joe Freeman? And when do you expect the Blazers to make a trade slash pick up a free agent, January or February? Let's answer the one-on-one question first. Joe would probably beat me in one-on-one. He's like four inches taller than me. He's a better shooter than I am. Um, when we do play pickup occasionally and I guard him, he um, he doesn't just like whoop my ass all night, but he, he'll give me the business a handful of times down the floor. Uh, I think it would probably be closer than he would have you believe. Joe's, Joe's very competitive, so he would not let me win by any means. He would come after me. 
Um, but I would probably make it tougher on him than, than, than if you asked him, he would, he would be confident that he would kill me, but I think I'd make it tougher on him. But yeah, I'd pick him. Say we're playing to 11. I, I'm going to say he wins 11, eight. Um, just cause he's, he's, he's got a, he's got height and a better, a better pull up game than I do. All right. Next question or your second question, Jack, you said, when do you expect the Blazers to make a trade slash pick up a free agent? January, February. I kind of think it'll happen. I mean, the, the trade deadline is February 6th. So I think there's likely to be movement prior to that prior to that early uh, trade deadline date. Uh, I, I, I think I think I read in Mark Stein of New York Times um, uh, his newsletter saying that January 15th is when executives kind of said the, the market expected the market to heat up. And yeah, I think, um, as you get closer in sort of that two week time frame, three weeks out from the trade deadline, that's when teams start to start to move their calls from just sort of exploratory. Hey, we'd like to get, we'd like to shed salary. We'd like to get a young player to, Hey, we'd like to trade for, Player X. What does a package look like? They start talking about specific packages. So yeah, I'd say two. I say we're two weeks away. Second week of January is when I when I'm going to predict things start really heating up. 